0: Welcome to another edition of the Membership World Podcast. My name is Gordon Glenister, I'm the founder. This episode is sponsored by RD Mobile who are leaders in online event management platforms. Now in this podcast series you'll hear me interview all sorts of people from the world of membership bodies and trade associations. But before we start please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast series just to make sure that you don't miss a future episode and in today's edition i'm talking with the ceo of the national hair and beauty federation richard lambert about the success of the top 100 influencer campaign and why it was such a great way to engage the community richard started by telling me a little bit about the nhbf the
1: national hair and beauty federation is the largest trade association for beauty hairdressing barbering salon owners and employers we have Uh, about 6,500 members, Uh, that's grown actually over the pandemic, grown by about 20% since the beginning of uh, 2020. The National Hairdressers Federation goes back to 1942, but over the last five years or so, we've added it in beauty. And our main role has evolved into primarily business support. Like most small business trade associations, it's advice, information and guidance for small businesses. And that really came to the fore over the last two years. Because of the way that the pandemic hit the personal care services sector,
0: I was going to say it must have hit quite quite badly, actually, given the fact that many barbers and and hairdressers were forced to close. And they, these are people that run their own businesses, free, uh, sole traders and limited companies, so uh, must have been a nightmare for some of them.
1: You have just a couple of the high profile chains and the, the some sort of the celebrity hairdressers, but primarily this is small and micro businesses. of this sector have fewer than 10 employees. 70% of the sector do not turn over enough to cross the VRAT threshold. 2020 to 21, they were closed for nine months out of 12. And that's completely closed, no income, because you can't have an online haircut. There was no way they could even pivot to doing stuff online. But you've still got a premises to keep in place. And that caused real strain. And so this time last year, we had something like 46% of the sector telling us that they weren't sure they were going to make it to April when they were talking about the possibility of reopening. Yeah, people were seriously saying, "I'm not going to make it till then. I'm going to run out of cash." The rate of indebtedness went from like 20% to over 66%. More than half the sector were using their own savings to fund because they'd run out. They'd run through their business reserve. One in ten owners didn't get any return from their business in 2020. Yeah, it was really dire. It was only towards September or so that we actually started to see some signs of recovery. And that all disappeared in the four weeks around Christmas. The Omicron surge has just wiped it back to possibly where we were, I'm going to say maybe last April, May there are lot of very worried people out there at the moment and let's hope things ease off in the next few weeks because otherwise I think we're going to be back to a really difficult situation
0: yeah yeah no and and obviously you, when you're sat at the association it's it's there's only so much that you can do and talk us through how this sort of top 100 idea and concept came about so after we got
1: reopened, people were going back. There was sort of a bit more of a sense of people being able to breathe again, thinking what was going on, looking a little bit more widely than just uh, how we survive into next month. It came about partly because you and I discussed the idea when we, when we met up uh, sort of in, in the early middle part of last year. And it just seemed to me like something that actually, it was very much in tune with what this industry is about. You're talking about lots of very visual people. Lots of visual people, lots of creative people. It is an industry that spends its life on social media. I mean, our social media feeds exploded over the pandemic. Yeah, Like most membership organisations, we had all the platforms and they ticked along. In the first eight weeks of the first lockdown in 2020, our Facebook and Instagram followings just leapt. And we suddenly found that that was where we were getting most of the engagement from members. And over the next three or four months, we realized that that was actually now our main channel of communication to most of our members. So social media has become a lot more important to the organization because these are not people who are spending their time sitting in front of a computer like you or I do. They're standing on the floor, they're working all the time with their clients, but they're on their phones or they're on their tablets and they love putting out the visuals of what they're doing and sharing and comparing That whole sense of growing social media was reinforced when the lockdown came in December, January last year. Our Facebook following jumped by 33,000 last January in that one month. So we've now got a Facebook following of something like 140,000. Instagram is just short of 90,000. LinkedIn and Twitter, where most trade bodies are the main social media focus, Twitter is is only just about 2,000. LinkedIn is about 13. So it's really very much those their Instagram and Facebook. But as I say, there's a lot going on in the sector around social media. It's a very important factor. What you've then got is a lot of people who are interested in what other people are doing and influenced by the, what other people are doing. And we thought actually, this idea of finding a way to celebrate that and just give people an impression of who's doing what and how influential they are would be really interesting. I think the other thing which really interested us was there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of people who are thought of as very influential. There's a lot of people who are talked of as very influential. Inevitably in this kind of environment, there's a lot of people who think they are very influential and talk themselves up. The thing that really interested me about what this proposition you presented to us was that it was actually a dispassionate. Analysis that you would actually take the data, look at that, and come up with a ranking based on the data. So, not simply numbers of followers, not vote for me, but actually, yes, number of followers, but also the reach and the engagement. So, we actually thought that could actually produce some quite interesting results. And it would certainly give us a real sense of what's going on. So, um, it just seemed to chime in with what the sector was doing. And the other thing was, it was different. No one else was doing this. No one else had heard of this. And again, the, the conversation you and I had was that you, know, you, you tried it in a couple of other sectors. But I just thought this is the perfect sector. And it also means that we can shift the NHBF away. We can raise its profile, but we can also move it away from that the slightly staid image that it has in many people's minds. Yeah, The organisation, as I say, it has been around for 80 years. It's very much a traditional organisation. It was forced through the pandemic to adapt very quickly. And its I think it's very much thinking about you know, how it makes itself relevant to the current day. And I just thought this is one more thing that we can add into that, which is part, I think, of, of my role in the organisation.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And when you launched it, how did you launch it? What sort of reaction did you get?
1: The usual ways you do on our social feeds, on our website, email, newsletter promotion to our members, press releases. We called for nominations And we said that you could nominate yourself or you could nominate somebody else. We set criteria in the sense that it had to be a professional currently working in the sector. So that's hairdressing, barbering, beauty, well-being or aesthetics. To define themselves as a professional, they had to have an applicable qualification from a regulated awarding organisation or the equivalent continual experience over five years or more working in the sector. So what we just wanted to distinguish that this is, this is for the hairdressing professionals. It's not for people who describe themselves as beauty or influencers on YouTube, where effectively they're showing how they put on makeup in their bedroom. This is very much something for professionals. So we then ran that campaign to generate nominations over a period of about two months between July and the end of September. And we got just over 200. Now, I think that's pretty good, bearing in mind that this is a complete new concept. No one had ever heard of it before. And we took a decision not to go for a media partner. The reason for that is because there are two main magazines in the hair and beauty sector. And it was almost inevitable. If we had gone with one, the other would have tried to set up their own competing event because that's the way they work. Again, that's no disrespect to either of them. They will freely admit that that's what they would have done. And I've, I've had conversations with them. They said, yeah, of course we would have done it because you can't allow the other to, to get an edge on you. But what I wanted was to establish that this is the NHBF doing this, and it's our event, and it's our process. So it was quite a process. And, you know, we had a few you know, people not really understanding what it was. But again, very new, so people were questioning, how can I do this? Can I do this? Is it all right if I nominate somebody else? So we ended up with a nominations list of, I think, 210, 220, something like that, which I was pleased with that.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no I was as well to be honest I thought it was very very impressive and of course what's great about that is is that it starts the level of engagement because people then start talking about it the next phase of course is to then do that sort of data analytics so that you really start to get the, the, the rankings through what happened next in terms of the process from your end
1: so we sent that off to our partners who did the analysis so the analysis was completely independent once we'd set the criteria of who we wanted actually in there, and we, and we checked the nominations to make sure they matched our requirements, then they went up to um, the agency to analyse them. And we sat and waited until it came back. So we had no idea what the results were going to be until they actually arrived in the spreadsheet. And I think that's really important, because we've had people question us about what came out in the end, and we've said, look, the analysis was done independently. We released the results we got. It wasn't down to us to say who should be or should we. The data is what the data
0: is. Yeah, and that's the great thing about something like this is is that because, you know, top 50, top 100 are not necessarily new. Many industries have had them, but they tend to be just purely vote for me type campaigns. And of course, that's almost like a popularity context. And I think what's different about this is this is about trying to define influence. And what I've particularly liked about what you said earlier is you helped set some of the criteria, which is about Boosting the professionals, So this isn't just people that are hairdressers and salon owners, but people that have either worked in industry for five years or have got a professional qualification. So in terms of your goals and remits about raising the standards, aside from creating great PR, this helps serve your agenda, of course, doesn't it, about rewarding and recognising people that have been in the sector or have been qualified suitably?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it was really important to us that what we were trying to do was celebrate what people were doing. Inevitably, there's a lot going on online. There's a lot of noise online. There's a lot of chaff going on online. I think what we wanted to really highlight was the people who are doing this really well and who are having a genuine influence. Once we realised there was a way of measuring that influence in a dispassionate way, then we really wanted to pick up on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, it's about finding the influences of tomorrow, isn't it? Somebody that might well have been around the sector for a while, but not so active on social media versus somebody that is, you know, a new and engaging individual uh, could could actually be potential future members of the board of the NHF could could be much more engaged in the community and help you advocate your brand messages for the future. And that's what's really great about something like this is it's the start legacy, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's sort of broadening the NHBF community, but it's making sure that we are connected back into our community. And I think every membership professional knows the organisation you run is only relevant if it is connected into the community. One of my concerns coming into the organisation, and I have seen in so many other organisations, I've seen in organisations I've run, I've seen in other people's organisations, I thought the organisation thought too much about itself and what was good for the NHBF and even for the NHBF staff sometimes, and also certainly what's good for the NHBF board, rather than thinking about what do the members, what the community need? Now, we have made a big transition in the early part of the pandemic because we took the quite controversial decision that anything relating to COVID that we put out, we would make available to the whole sector not just to our members, because we thought that was a service to the industry. There were a number of members who said, you're giving too much away. Possibly that's true. At the time, I think it was the right decision. It's something we're reflecting on now because how much we continue to make stuff available is, as things move back towards whatever normality is, at whatever point it returns, is a different thing. We have to focus on the sector. We have to focus on the people in it. We have to focus on how things are there and we as an organization have to adapt with it and I think this whole shift towards social media and the importance of social media was something that we really needed to pick up on and partly use for our own benefit but also just as I said to celebrate to, you know, just there, there was people doing some really interesting innovative things and are communicating some stuff really interesting stuff and it's going to far more people than they could ever could do. You you used to do these kinds of things through shows and exhibitions, but you know, you get 300 people in a room. Great. You you can hit 3000 people in less than five minutes. With a social media post.
0: Yeah. And I think that what's great about something like this index is that it carries the NHF brand with them, you know, so that we, you know, you're finding superstar salon owners and hairdressers of the future. So, what sort of reaction did they get? Because you also did an event, of course, didn't you, to share where the rankings were?
1: Well, we thought quite carefully about how we should launch it. What we decided we'd do is we would announce the top 20 in a live stream. But we would run up to that. So we planned a live stream event on a Sunday because hairdressers tend not to work Sundays and Mondays. So we did it on Sunday. We did it in a venue in London, which is a combination between a hairdressing salon, a members club and a multimedia studio. So it was perfect for them. We invited all the top 20. Not all of them were able to come. About 10, 12 made it. Others who weren't able to make it sent us in videos because we told them they were in the top 20 but we didn't tell them where they were in the top 20 and we had press and vips in there so it was a you know reasonable gathering but to run up to that we did a top of the pop style rollout so we created a series of countdown videos and we released those through the week in the run-up so we spent some time just saying you know, this is when the announcement's going to be this is the week it's going to be watch out for what's coming Then on the Wednesday, we released a video for the numbers 81 to 100. Thursday, 61 to 80. Friday morning, 41 to 60. Friday afternoon, 21 to 40. The top 20 were announced at an event that was live streamed on YouTube and Instagram. We had Sonia Harrier, who's the beauty director of The Telegraph, as the compare. And we literally announced them one after the other. All the top 20 who were there were given a commemorative certificate. We uh, gave them a chance to say something. It was a really, really lively event. And as things moved through, people got really excited. I think one of the interesting things about the rollout was that suddenly people started saying, well, how come so-and-so is there and -and such-and-such is above them? But I thought that person was really influential, but their ranking is much lower than I would have thought. And so you you, you start to build up that sense of anticipation. And then the people who were in the top 20... There were some people who were real surprises to a lot of people. So that worked really well. All of the top 20 who were there were stunned, I think, surprised to find themselves in that ranking, really thrilled, had not really thought about how what they were doing related to others in terms of where they might stand in terms of influence, but really excited and enthusiastic. The interesting thing was the number of them that said, do you know what? I didn't even know I've been nominated for this. I had not heard of this, but you know, now I have. Wow, they were really thrilled.
0: And that's really great because I think it's the sentiment of, of recognition, I think, is always greater than than sometimes somebody that has been part of a um, vote for me type campaign because it, it feels much more heartfelt because it is also a valuation of what they have been doing. And I think what, what it will do, and because I know that you're very excited about doing it again, is it will start to make people think. It's almost like a light bulb moment, won't it? About, right, okay, this is important about my growing my personal brand and my business. I need to look at developing even more of this for the ones that are already up there, but also the people that were perhaps further back the list or weren't even on it were thinking, wow, I need to you know, (laughs) move into top gear.
1: There's a thing that was in my mind as we were doing the event and in the week after, which is something I read Years ago, the first series of Big Brother, the contestants were people who'd seen an ad in the paper for a game show that involved being isolated in a house with a group of other people and undertaking tasks and games over a two-, three-month period. The second series of Big Brother, the contestants were the people who'd seen the first series of Big Brother. From the third series onwards, the contestants in Big Brother were people who wanted to be on Big Brother.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I'm hoping next year we'll get more nominations and we'll get more people involved. It won't be a novelty. People will be aware of it. We only had the initial conversation in, I think, the April, May last year. Mm. So we had a shortened time period to do it. This year, we have more time to plan. We have more time to ramp up the nominations campaign. So hopefully we will generate more nominations. And there's the awareness and we can build the enthusiasm around it. So one of the things we did, every one of the top hundred influencers, we gave them their own personalised social media asset to use, which almost all of them did. So that has pushed it out even further. It's not just we know the people who were nominated know the people who were in the top hundred know. A few people around that we've really pushed it out there. So it's, it's something that I think that it's established in the sector. We hope that we'll we'll do even better this year.
0: Yeah, no, it's really exciting. I mean, I guess for again the listeners, it, this is the million-dollar question: is you know what were the results? Did it work? I mean, but but by the sounds of what we're talking about, it it did. Have you got any sense of uh, of numbers of, of impact? This is social media, Gordon. Of course, I've got numbers.
1: So, in the week of the second to the 9th of November, the week before the rollout week, the main channel we used was Instagram. We had some on Facebook as well, but the main channel was Instagram. So, our Instagram reached. 22,500 accounts in that week before, and it was mostly followers. In the week of the rollout, it reached 49,500 accounts. We reached more than 7,000% more non-follower accounts. That's 20,600 followers and 28,800 non-followers. I mean, we thought we'd have a boost, but the kind of impact it was having was yeah, it just exploded in that week from the moment we set put out that first 80 to 100 video it just went absolutely so normally if we put out a video we would reach 405 followers so we have 405 followers watch a, a video that we put out in a week now obviously we put out a lot more video content in that week but we had 36,900 views of videos in that week We had uh, 4,905 accounts for each two stories. That's double what we would do normally. We had over 200,000 impressions compared with just short of 60,000 in a normal week. Our profile visits were up over 500%. Our website taps were up over 125%, which is a really important thing because that means people are coming through to our website and looking more broadly. We even had two email taps and we never have email taps. We gained 258 followers. We had um, 295 accounts engaged with us as a result of that. It was just astonishing. Facebook wasn't quite so dramatic, but the impact on Instagram was really amazing. And our Instagram following had just started to dip a little bit, but it went right back up. And what was
0: the reaction to the team and the board?
1: I have to say the team worked like demons. to There was particularly the marketing team. So there was a lot of effort to create all the assets, all the design, all the um, wherewithal around the live event. The live event itself was a real production, so they put in a lot of time and effort. And I think they all felt like everything they'd done was worthwhile.
0: Oh, that's amazing to hear.
1: If you've ever been involved in something, it is great to be part of something you think is new, cutting edge, dynamic, and has greater impact than you expected. The board, I think, were just blown away. Several of the board attended the event and were really thrilled by that. Several of the others didn't, but watched it or engaged it online. And again, we're saying this is a great thing. What a fantastic thing we've done. So yeah, they are very enthusiastic about next year.
0: And I think, you know, this is a broader subject. This is why I'm so keen to have you on the podcast here, because I think, This is quite a catalyst, I think, potentially for other trade associations. You may know that I wrote a report on the social CEO with an influencer platform um, last year and I was trying to look at the social following of, of CEOs. And I think if I'm honest, having come from a trade association background myself, I think some associations have unwittingly missed the importance and value of social media in terms of their communication method. And yes, I think the pandemic has helped do that. But I think things like this sort of top index concept idea has has really proved that if you do it in the right way and with the right method, uh, it can really catapult your level of engagement and find future stars that could well be part of your organisation.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you've got to be really aware of your sector. I don't think you can just assume there's a real danger that if you're very active on social media and very involved in it that you assume so is everybody else. I think one of the things we've seen from recent elections is the great discovery the mass of the electorate is not on Twitter. Twitter does not represent the opinion of the company, it represents the opinion of people on Twitter. It's the same thing. It very much depends on the sector you're in and how people engage that. As I say, it worked really well for the hair and beauty sector because the hair and beauty sector is very engaged on social media. Apart from anything else, something like 55% of the workforce are aged under 35. You're dealing with people who are more or less digital natives, whereas I think in a lot of you know, a lot of other sectors, the people you really want to engage and in influence are, like you and I, digital migrants, and we engage to a level but not necessarily to the same depths and there's just something that's always there in the background that, that um that the younger generation do
0: yeah no super well Richard um it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and thank you for your wonderful insights on the top 100 index and indeed the work that you're doing at NHBF. sounds absolutely amazing so thanks again um for your time today
1: that's all you're welcome nice to talk to you
0: This podcast is sponsored by RD Mobile, providing events and member engagement solutions used by organizations worldwide. RD Mobile can help your organization deliver value at your next virtual or in-person event and throughout the year. Visit us at rdmobile.com to learn more. That's it for another edition of Membership World Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show and give me your feedback hello at membershipworld.co.uk or you can follow me on LinkedIn Instagram or Twitter where you can also ask me a question and lastly if you feel like it please do give us a five star rating as it does help us hugely. Thanks as always to my producer Neil Whiteside from Freedom One And until next time from me Gordon Glenister it's bye for now.